Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here coming to you with Ryan as usual. And we're going to talk a little bit of AGM today. That's the plan for the pod. Uh, it's obviously took place uh, last Thursday night. We're recording on Sunday evening. And it took place virtually, obviously, with COVID restrictions in mind. And uh, John Blaine, friend of the show, apparently was spearheading those efforts to obviously get as many people involved in observing the AGM live as possible. It's, it's a significant time in Everton's history. There's a lot of exciting things happening in terms of growth, in terms of opportunities with the stadium, with the finances. Uh, and we're, we're going to get into all of it, Ryan, but uh, kicking things off. How are you doing? Not too bad. Yeah. It sounds like it went off pretty well. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to be able to bring in some other people there. I didn't register for it and I, I could not do it. I had a conflict. Um, I'm also not a shareholder. <laughs> so there's that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like it, there were no technical flaws or anything, which you always run the risk of doing something like that. So John obviously did something right um, as he normally does. Uh, but yeah, I mean, right now too, I mean, spirits are still high in general, even after not playing this weekend with a game in hand, we're still sitting in sixth. Um it's nice to have a little bit of a three-point buffer ahead of Chelsea, Southampton, and West Ham uh, with the game in hand. Still very early, of course, but um, the message from the AGM was we're kind of where we want to be. So, so I think the idea is we're going to talk a little bit about some of the biggest takeaways that we saw from our decidedly American angle, I think. Mm. Uh, we'll talk about stadium update, which... You know, I don't know how much of an update it is, but I think there's a little bit of a tweak on how we view Stadia and how it's used that might be insightful for some people. Um, there was a focus on North America. That was good to see. We'll get through that and um, kind of leave the money stuff to other folks in other ways. Uh, I, we're definitely going to talk about the football impacts and get through and brands put forth some numbers that I think are really, really interesting. But but look, there's already been a couple takes on the AGM, too. So we're going to try and not be too redundant. I know the guys at Toffee TV have already Baz and, and John already went through it extensively. And I know Everton Business Matters went through it as well with John Roger and Paul the Esk. I recommend all those pods. I mean, they're, they I think they cover it pretty, pretty darn well. Um but without further ado, let's go into the stadium update. Um, Denise obviously gave us an update, and we've seen some of the quotes in various publications. And uh, I'll read it, James, and then I, I kind of want your take um, and see what you think. I don't know how newsworthy it is, but but just real quickly, um, this is Denise uh Barrett Baxendale talking um, Liverpool city council's public consultation period closed in October and the club is confident of securing successful planning determination very soon with potential to commence construction on site shortly thereafter. While the club awaits the determination of a planning application, we continue to pursue a range of funding opportunities, including senior debt, alternative sources of equity and subordinated debt. Phase two due diligence is currently being conducted to support the funding process, including direct research with supporters to help shape what match days will look like at the new stadium. You've heard some of the other contexts about some of the things she said. Is this really anything new? No, I don't think it's anything new. And I think what's nice about the AGM is, is honestly, I don't think there were some numbers that are thrown out that we'll talk about later that are new ish, or at least uh, 
interesting to further some of the conversations. But Ryan, I mean, we talk about these sorts of things all the time. I just think it's nice when you get people associated with the the board of the club on record and sort of clarifying and being as transparent as they possibly can about where the Everton are at at this moment in time. And I think at this moment in time, as far as the stadium is concerned, there aren't any major issues that have arisen. Obviously this is a long process. It feels like already that it's been going on forever and there hasn't even been a shovel put in the ground just yet, but it's a huge, massive infrastructure undertaking. And there's been a lot of due diligence needed on the part of Everton and their the, the consultants that they're working with, with the construction companies, et cetera, and with the Liverpool city council. And it seems like, Everything that I've seen up to this point that everyone is largely on the same page with the exception of a couple of people who may have objected to the site, uh, the the heritage site, uh, World Heritage Site. But other than that, yeah, it just seems like things are on course. COVID, of course, in the last year has derailed basically every football club's, I think, long-term plans, short-term plans, certainly. But there's nothing that's changed dramatically the big thing now is just getting approval of the the planning application and then just putting again putting a shovel in the ground starting to build this fantastic modern stadium this incredible i think what will be a, a gigantic landmark and huge get for the city in terms of the jobs it will create and the infrastructure that it will uh, provide to an area that is pretty devoid of it at the moment yeah, no one goes down there, man. I mean, you know, <laughs> and I mean, you say they're like, what is down there? There's one pub. Uh, yeah, the There's no red tape like European red tape, is there? Uh, in America, things happen a little differently, for better, for worse. Um, finance has always, I think, been the biggest issue. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a heritage site, and I get it, and that complicates things. But, I mean, there's no legitimate argument that would no. say there's a better option to do something down here that would better preserve the dog. I mean, come on, man. It's just absurd. Uh, okay, you've been successful. We've taken down the car park and some other things, which maybe that wasn't the best idea, but... I think what also makes you feel better is Mashiri owns property down there. I mean, you just feel like it's it's gonna get done. Now, now one thing she did say, and I and I have this quote in our doc that I think is really interesting. That kind of makes me think that they're going about this in a very proper way, similar to Spurs and very North American-ish. It's uh, Denise said, the new stadium presents us with a number of crucial opportunities to grow revenue, including general admissions, hospitality, partnerships, catering, retail and revenue from concerts, conferences and other events. So what's really important to understand is this is very common in North America. Any new structure edifice of this size that goes up is going to have a way to attract revenue streams and not just from entertainment dollars. We're talking conferences, big conference rooms, space, meeting space, wedding receptions, like crazy stuff like that, you know, big parties, especially if that thing's going to overlook the mercy where it is locations, pretty cool. I mean, you could come up with some really slick venues, you know, people know them from Pittsburgh and when they built the, the new stadiums on the North shore, you have Heinz field for the Steelers and PNC park for the pirates, which is just an unbelievable venue, but people do events in these places all the time. There's something in, in Heinz field called the great hall. And it's a very big space and you can have, you know, several hundred people there in a big scale meeting. And they've they've done a lot of stuff there, too. And the club holds events, too. I mean, you can show off this beautiful stadium. Uh, there's obviously going to be lots sort of premium, you know, food and clubs in different places for that. But the idea behind that isn't just for the game day experience. And I think we see that all the time in North America. But but maybe it's worth remembering and even the outdoor space could be a really cool place to have, you know, if you had a stage there and some other things. So I just think that's an angle that. 
maybe people, especially some of the local folks that, you know, don't, don't have that venue nearby. The Ithiad has it, but they don't, it's not the same, it's not in that kind of location. Yeah. You got to take advantage of that location. I just think it affords some cool opportunities. I think to create more revenue streams than even a match day. Yeah. You create, um, and it's very close to the city center also. So just yeah. the, the convenience of the location, the fact that it will draw a ton of tourists, you know, I mean, there are tourists that obviously go to tour Goodison, but I'd say it's dramatically dwarfed by those that go across the park to infield. Um, but, but in that location, I just think you're going to get a lot more foot traffic, the surrounding businesses, in addition to just the stadium itself, um, the commercial partnerships that ever can, can, can form and ex and, and take advantage of, in the new stadium. I mean, everyone loves Goodison. If you haven't been, you need to go before eventually we move oh. to this new stadium because it's unlike anything that you'll experience elsewhere in, in Europe, definitely in America. It's just that the classic English football uh, facility, but it does have its shortcomings. No one is, I think, I think everyone's very, very, very much aware of the shortcomings and it's holding Everton back commercially. And so this new, again, you can, you can, provide high quality dining options. You can provide opportunities for box seats, all of these things that Goodison lacks that, as you said, Ryan, not just for match days, but all sorts of other events. And the sky's really the limit because depending on how the facility is designed, again, it can be a hub for business. It can be a hub for commerce, all of these sorts of things. And it seems like the club is very, very much aware of it and looking to leverage all of the possible avenues. Yeah. If you're going to do it, do it right. I mean, that's yeah. the thing, you know, you, you got one time shot one at shot. this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. I totally agree. We, we are just in sync today. Buddy. <laughs> um, so, so transitioning to on the focus on North America, which I found very, very interesting. So um, mm. Denise went on and, and talked a little bit about that and uh, here are a couple quotes from this. I think it's very interesting. Um, so her quotes are, our strategy aims to build our profile and on the ground presence in key territories, including North and South America and Australia, which will enable us to secure more overseas commercial deals in the medium to long term. Um, and we'll get into the commercial revenue growth here in a second, although we're not going to hammer it, but it is obvious that it's happening. Um, continuing on, the club has implemented a focused marketing strategy to support our growth objectives in the USA, including the appointment of Tim Howard, friend of the show, um, as the club's first official U.S. ambassador. Uh, as part of our plan, we have increased our supporters clubs in the USA to more than 50 feels like more than that to us but you know we're in it uh and in may the club land launched an international academy affiliate program with an e at the end of course um expanding the knowledge and expertise of our player development framework into territories where we are most focused on growing our presence uh, and it kind of continues on to talk about presence in in soccer communities uh talks about next spring we'll be running an extensive soccer camp program again in the end, across the Midwest and Northeast of America, thousands of young soccer players will be getting their first taste of Everton as we take our coaches on the road into communities to help them develop as players while at the same time, we hope, help us create more young international supporters. I think she pegs it pretty well. Now, we've talked about this in the past, but there's no mistaking as to what this stuff is. So a couple of different things. Talked about the supporters groups. I feel like they're more connected. I think Tony Sampson and some of the crew deserves, I feel like we deserve some credit for that. I hope we're bringing a community together. That's a, a big part of the pod. I mean, I feel that. Don't you feel it? I feel like yeah, it's stronger I, than it was. If you look at, I mean, again, the, the reason that the show was originally started was because there wasn't that kind of existing network of, of fans. And now I think there's a coherent effort and a coherent application of how to bring these people together, how to um, connect these groups. The, some of the fan groups in the U S have 
um, existed for a really long time before even the club were willing to officially recognize them. And now the, uh, the club are making a clear effort in providing that sort of infrastructure and support behind the scenes to allow them to grow uh, successfully and allow them to um, put on some, some new kinds of events and all the sort of stuff that Tony's been working on, who deserves a ton, a ton of credit. Uh, And now Everton at a very high level are addressing the lack of, the, the previous lack of focus on America as a growth market for commercial opportunities and as in general, as a fan base, as the Premier League has exploded. I mean, we've talked about it at length on the show, how we feel maybe Everton are a little late to the, to the party in terms of that, but better late than never. So you have to give yeah. you know, tip of the cap. They are recognizing it. And in the last 12 months, you can see that there has just been a huge, huge boost in terms of, you know, when we signed James, all of the marketing uh, materials that were shown, the billboards in Times Square and in Miami and all these sorts of things. Um, and that was just sort of the tip of the iceberg. And now they've they've laid out this International Academy affiliate program, which is really interesting. Um, I think it's good for the clubs in North America to be given access to the kinds of resources that they will be from Everton. And Everton, again, they get the chance to put the logo, put the brand, put the, the core values of the club in front of a group of young uh impressionable fans who may not know that much about English Premier League at the time, but if they learn about it and learn about Everton, I think it's an easy sell. The one thing I would say, Ryan, do you think I'm too old to sign up for the uh, soccer program? Cause I'd love to just have a uh, yes, you are. David, David Ancelotti, like coach me on my dribbling technique. Yes, you are. And we're a little bit late to that game as well, but to be perfectly honest, the name Everton didn't carry a lot of weight. So it's right. pretty funny. Max is uh, my son, Max who's 11. Uh, many of you know enough about him at this point. He was just in this room saying hi to James. Yeah, he might still be waiting outside the door. Oh, God, he wants to get on this so badly. Um, He's a bit of a character, but his club, strangely enough, has a a connection, a relationship with Deportivo La Coruña, which is totally nosedive. It used to be one of the better teams in Spain, which is interesting. But, But you see Bayern Munich in particular. A lot of these big European clubs now have this connection. And what it really does is it just gives name to a smaller maybe academy. So that's what we've done. I think we picked like the Columbus Academy too. You know, it's a, it's yep. a small one. It's not a prominent one in, in Columbus, Ohio. It's not like the crew or anything, but, but it does give it some legitimacy. You know what I mean? Um, being Everton, you know, it gives you some level of brand. Now, as our brand gets stronger, if we start finding ourselves in Europe more like the way we used to be, it'll give it a lot more credibility. And these kids are going to get, you know, they'll have camps and get little cheap Everton jerseys and stuff, and they'll be geeked up about it. And, you know, maybe it'll pull a couple guys in and you'll have the kits in the, in the clubhouse and things like that. So it's a grassroots effort, but it's probably cost neutral. I mean, to be perfectly honest, the club, the club is probably going to maybe not make a bunch of money off it at all, but probably end up getting reimbursed by giving the club some credibility. It's not a huge moneymaker or anything, but that's, you know, the pay to play model, which we hate and it's holding us soccer back, of course. And we, that's its own separate pod. My goodness. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it just makes sense. A little late than ever. But here's a thought. Don't you kind of feel like things with COVID, it's almost like a reboot in a strange way. And maybe it's just because Everton has kind of been rebooting this year with Carlo. Yeah. And so, you know what I mean? I, I just thought of that now. I don't know what your feeling is. I mean, don't you kind of get that? Maybe we just feel that way because it's Everton is kind of getting a little bit like we're seeing tangible progress now. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's like just the 
timing has worked out in that like Everton are undertaking all of these new initiatives at the exact same time where like the rest of the world is kind of in flux. But I do think like the post COVID world is going to, as we sort of head in that direction with vaccines rolling out and all that sort of stuff, it's going to present an opportunity. It's been a, you know, big deterrent for a lot of other businesses around the world. And so it opens up, potentially like market share to be claimed. I mean, I think, you know, football clubs and football fandom is pretty inelastic where like people are are not going to switch between them. You can't really change affiliation all that often, but I do think like it's going to be a more global brand. The Premier League in general is going to continue to grow. and, And I think some of the trends we've seen over the last 12 months, if Everton play this right, I think it, can open up a bunch of new opportunities. I don't know if it dramatically changes necessarily the club strategy in any way, but as it, it does, uh, what they have, I think been planning for some time is, is timed really well with how this is kind of all playing out. Yeah. I'm excited too to, to meet, you know, in person, a lot of the supporters folks that we've gotten in touch with. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's been nice. You know, I feel like that's maybe the opportunity too. people are itching to get out and Everton playing a little bit better, um, you know, and it's still going to take some time to get to where we need to be. I think it's just an exciting time. So may- maybe that's a little bit of it. Maybe that's kind of the reboot, but I think it's an interesting angle either way. All right. Leading into, we're going to talk money just very briefly. And I, again, I don't want to hit this, beat this into the ground. Cause I think it's already been done uh, by yeah. other qualified individuals. Um, despite our, considerable business acumen, James. <laughs> um, now, I, I, there are a lot of numbers. I mean, yet net-breaking losses of 139.9 million pounds, um, which... Eye-watering. Yeah, it's a lot of money, but again, I mean, businesses run on cash, and Mosh has money, so I, Mosh, Mashiri has money, like he's my buddy. Yeah, um, your best friend, that, Mosh. Yeah, that stuff doesn't concern... I, you know, some of this stuff is... There's like an... There's a 26.3 million, million pound impairment charge in there. It's just writing down player registrations, you know, and, and we, we had a long conversation on the Discord about that. Apparently, my CPA was being tested. I didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and the losses due specifically to COVID... 67.3 million pounds is massive. And I think we spent 39 million pounds on the stadium so far as well. So that's actually exempt uh, for financial fair play calculations. I think explicitly in, in the, I can't remember if it's the PL ones or the UEFA ones, but either way, a lot of those costs, a chunk of them will be capitalized too. And that would increase revenue as well because capital costs, right. the expense gets spread out over, over multiple years. Uh, but anyway, I don't want to pound that in the ground. I want to talk about the football impacts because some of it I think was really interesting. You know, we've gone from about no club links and affiliate programs to now a whole lot of one. I, I think it's I think it's pretty exciting. I think there's a lot of possibilities about this. I I don't know what your thoughts are. I think it's amazing. You know, you look at the there was the club in Florida, the Columbus Club, and now the club is Everton are really looking to uh, create this global network of teams. And you'll talk about it in a little bit, but like the impacts in South America, I think are especially interesting given Marcel Brand's historic ties to recruiting from that region, but. The fact that it took us this long to form a formal partnership with Everton, the Del Mar, when they were named after us and have like historically always been uh, the, the logos are similar. And like, we're just getting around and saying, oh, yeah, this is probably a smart idea. To, like, it's named after us. I mean, it <laughs> yeah. wasn't a, it wasn't a coincidence. I mean, there's other clubs, you know, European names there it's as really well. Interesting the history behind it as well. If you look into yeah. like how all those clubs adopted their names from the English clubs, it's fascinating. 
It is almost funny to think of football as almost the South American originated sport, but it really was not. It was right. it was one of the great English exports, I think is a safe way to say it. But I, I think probably the big key is Everton uh Davina Damar um is part of Grupo Pachuca. And I think that's probably the catalyst uh for those people that don't know what Grupo Pachuca is. There are three or four major conglomerates that own most of the clubs in Liga MX, uh, Liga MX to us Americans. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this one is very interesting. Uh, they own Pachuca, uh, Leon, who is one of the best clubs in Mexico. So much talent on that team. Um, Zacatecas, which is a second division club in Mexico, but has been up top. Minieros de Zacatecas and Tayeres de Cordoba, which is an Argentinian team that has produced a lot of talent over the years. So, and then you add in the, the recent announcement to, um, Rogers, Rovers, uh, from Ireland, uh, Seamus's former club, which is a nice little connection. And you're starting to see some, something happen. I wouldn't be surprised if you see like an Australian connection too, but, but I think what's really important is the networks of these clubs Get there's so much talent in Central and South America, and that includes Mexico as well, too. Um, young talent, and I think with some of the new work permit rules, I, I think they're a little more flexible than they were. Yeah, uh, they place enormous, um, enormous emphasis on the Copa Libertadores. Um, and you know, it's easier, I think, to get some of these younger guys a permit. But I just think it's difficult to having a little bit of experience in doing this. It's difficult to do business in those areas, man, to have someone on the ground and have a connection that can kind of gather. Anyone can watch the players here and see a good young yeah. talent. But to gather the business intelligence around them, I can assure you, is not easy. Um, and Marcel Brands has done this in the past. Like you said, I mean, you know, ha having a local affiliate on the ground in Mexico, Chile or Argentina it's just a massive help. I mean, brands bought from Argentina. Max Romero came from Villas Starfield um, and Mexico. Herving Lozano came from Pachuca and Pachuca has been known to have an debatably the best youth Academy in Mexico. Uh, he even bought, I feel like Guardado too, but I think he was in um, Portugal. Portugal. Yeah. I think at the time, but you know, he obviously must've scouted him or looked him at in Mexico. And that was from PSV. And I, I think, I think it is important. Even Everton cannot ignore, especially now that, and we'll get to the transfers probably in the tough TV episode, but um, bringing in young people to kind of line up behind these more senior players is absolutely critical. And if there's an exchange of ideas, you could have them parked at those places as well too, for a little bit and just kind of have arrangements and just kind of funnel younger talent into Everton. And, and, you know, the exchange will be, I think very much worth it. I find it exciting. I, I don't know if maybe people don't quite understand the possibilities, but this is a big, powerful group. Yeah, it's a huge resource for Everton. It's a huge Grupo. <laughs> so bad. I know. I, when I said it, I didn't mean to do it. As soon Get as I said it, I was like, stage. Oh, sorry. This I'll, guy stinks. I'll be at the Laughing in Cleveland uh, next week. Try the veal. <clears throat> no, but I mean, to, I echo everything that you said. I mean, it's it's clearly just expanding the global footprint, using these clubs as resources. The infrastructure for South American football is I think safe to say not nearly as sophisticated, at least sort of the business mechanisms in place are, are a lot more uh, perhaps cutthroat, perhaps uh, maybe unique. Yes. Unique. They're, they're very cultural. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're driven by all of these sort of factors, external factors that create what you have. And, and in order to navigate that, you need to have some sort of nous about you. You have to have the familiarity with 
what, who you need to talk to, who are the right people to, to connect with, who can you trust, who can't you trust. And so expanding your network in this way formally as, as a club at a club level will then help you. So that sort of trickles down to the more uh, interpersonal connections that actually will drive future growth for development for players, scouting, uh, all of these, even potential business opportunities and, and taking the club and growing the brand that way as well. Yeah, I think it's exciting. I mean, I, I don't know why we weren't doing this type of stuff before, but um, I like being tied to this group that really isn't well tied to a kind of a big European club. So that excites me personally. I think it's good. And and they're obviously, it, it, they've been actively buying clubs. So I'm very curious to see. They were looking at, who was it? Someone in Spain. And I don't know if they concluded that deal, but they're looking to expand as well too. So I don't know if we're going to have kind of the high powered Manchester city type city football group expansion, but th there are possibilities and I'm excited about it. So, so without further ado, moving on. Um, one thing that was talked about at the AGM by Marcel brands as well is the one club mantra, which we've been preaching for a while, how needed it was. Um, and, you know, we did uh, we did an article that was pretty in-depth on Marcel Brands. I think we we titled it Marcel Brands, Should He Stay or Go? in Ode to the Clash, which is uh, near and dear to both James and our heart. I'm not going to start singing the song like we did before off the we air. We did though. before the show. I, I, they would probably be more respectable, though, than singing Holy Diver the other week. But, uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, um, so I strongly suggest you check out Patty, uh, Patty Boylan and Greg O'Keefe's article in The Athletic. And I, I don't want to rip too much of it off there. But uh, we, we heard a lot of the talk. I thought during the interview, there was an interview with David Unsworth that, that was part of our brand's episode on Toffee TV USA. You heard a lot of that echoed by Marcel, I think, uh, you know, the quotes we piece from the AGM. Don't, and, and look, and this is a complicated issue because I know a lot of people are very skeptical of David Unsworth, and I think it's Ebrel as well, too. I think bringing him back, I think it's okay to be skeptical. But as we said before, you can't argue that they're not saying the, the, the right things. So... I mean, I feel like we're, we're starting to run. I think it's okay that Marcel Brands has taken time to change culture. I don't think the Everton culture is so easy to just overturn overnight. No. I don't think you want to. So are we just running out of things now to criticize Marcel Brands about? I think so. I mean, I think people, uh, Everton fans, rightfully so, are cynical about basically any good news that happens because there's been a lot of false dawns both in regard to play on the pitch yeah. and organizationally even with the stadium so i can understand why people approach things with a healthy dose of skepticism but in my opinion marcel brands has really hardly put a foot wrong since he's arrived and you can't just come in and sort of try to nuke what exists and replace it with with a entirely new structure you have to take slow steps and if for no other reason than to just um you well you want to preserve the good elements of what was there and if yeah. you destroy everything um and just start okay well now we're going to build an organization from the top down that hasn't existed previously well then you're going to lose any of the the good stuff so it takes so he probably took him time to assess what existed, what needed to change. And rather than say, okay, well, David Unsworth, you're out. We're going to bring a new guy in and we're going to start from scratch. Uh, provided some strategy and guidance on, on what the vision was for the club and tasked the people that were already there for the most part with executing on that vision. And in my mind, you can't really fault David Unsworth or anyone else that was as part of the Academy for operating under the old infrastructure that that was what was there. That's they weren't going to dramatically change anything. And so they're doing the same. Now they're taking directive from Marcel brands. There's a clear vision 
We're going to have the youth academy all the way up, play with a similar style to the first team. We're going to develop players long-term, take that long-term view. Um, but you can't go from whatever Everton were before to all of a sudden pivot on this basically, I don't know, it's a multi-year project. So you can't just switch gears instantly and expect to for it to yield results. I mean, you could, but I, just I, why? I, you don't, yeah. I, Marcel Brands, as I, I said from day one, regardless of contract situation, has had a longer view. And he preached that when he was first hired. And I see, you know, for him, this isn't too slow. You know, he, for him, what, what he cares about is getting to the destination. And look, you know, if we've got to take some more careful steps, if it's got to be measured, it's got to take a little longer. It's a, just a paradigm. You know, it's a paradox where people want, hurry up, we got to win something. Well, you can't do it that way. I mean, we don't have the money, frankly. I mean, yeah. you can't just build a team from scratch. And frankly, you want to preserve some of the culture because that's what makes Everton unique and stand out. Like eight, 9,000 people aren't going away matches because we're sponsored by an energy drink. <laughs> You know, right, right. Yes, right. That's so that's so good, dude. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's not. And you want to preserve that culture. There is nothing about that culture that says we can't win stuff. Yeah, it's it's preposterous to suggest that. So I think it's OK to preserve that familial atmosphere. And I think Carlo Ancelotti, as the top footballing coach, the man that represents us, off the pitch immediately. I mean, Marcel Brands barely does an interview is the right guy. And he's the right guy for that sort of vibe and brand. It's a brand in itself and you don't want to lose it much like that stadium, the way it got built, that design fuses the old with the new man. I mean, those building is going to look like it's part of the old docks. It just happened to have a metallic spacecraft crash into it, uh, <laughs> which is an awesome design, by the way. I just think it's so cool. But, but anyway, all right. So switching to that, I mean, there's no negative there. I mean, how could you ever, we've been preaching about that for years, you know, and, and it's up to Eberl and, and David Unsworth to perform. If they don't, they should be out. I don't think anyone's going to argue about that, but I think it's okay. Marcel Brands has to make his own assessment on how to change culture. Um, so one thing he has not done, and he did talk a little bit about transfer business and loans. And I want to go through this. Uh, James and I both kind of looked at this. So in the past, in, in our in our Brands episode, we noted that since Marcel Brands is here, our net spend is lower than Wolves, West Ham, Aston Villa, obviously Arsenal. Um, and we really haven't spent more in gross either. Like we are maybe slightly above average for the Premier League. Um, and, and people, I, I, it's just unfortunate. The Moshiri era has been yeah. lumped in with the brands era. Like it's the same thing. It's not, it's not Marcel has dropped wages too. He's not increased wages. Um, so I, I think it's, he's hesitant to do that. So I think he deserves credit with that. But, but that being said, I'd like to say we're fairly educated on what he's done from a financial standpoint, but some of these numbers, man, they were, they're even a little bit surprising for us. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, as I said at the top of the show, we look at this quite often. We dig into the financials, but the headline here, like the big takeaway is what Marcel said. And this is a direct quote. In 2018, started with a squad of 40 players, represented a value of 311 million pounds. That Hold up, stop. 40 players, only 311 million pounds. 40 players. I mean, that is just a massive number. I mean, what do you do with that? Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that is no, that's an fine. average You're value right. of 8.2 million pounds per player. Yes. I mean, that is. Come on. Terrible. And I'll, and I'll bet you, I, I, that's just shocking. Current value squad, 27 players worth more than 456 million. So we've gained, we've lost 13 
players from the first team. I wouldn't say we've exactly lost them, James. (laughs) It's true. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Sorry. They're gone. We've sold them. They've departed the club. And our value's increased. And yet, the players are now total, those 27 worth $456 So an increase of $140 odd roughly and that's an average so we've doubled the average value of the players now 16.9 million versus 8.2 how can you look at those numbers and say anything about what marcel brands marcel brands has done a bad job and since and just to add to that since june 2018 more than 70 players have left 70 players ryan including loans about seven 70 yeah it, it, including loans yes. yeah it's shocking Worth. now these are and these are marcel's own words i mean during summer 2020 window Marcel speaking. We spent a little more than 60 million pounds and saw 15 players leave for a total of 6.5 million pounds. And I'll tell you what, if I hear another person complain about his inability to get a fee for some of these guys, you know, (laughs) what are you talking about, man? The market is what it is. The fact that Jenk Tosin was going to be bought for 20 million pounds by Palace before he got hurt is just dumb luck. That was amazing in and of itself. I mean, I, I, some of those deals, I just can't critique him too much on. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah. And I, th- I thought the way he quoted uh, Patty, I think may have had this quote on it. Um, the idea of bringing in Alan DeCorey and Hamez, you know, he, I think Brands's words were an immediate improvement in Ancelotti's squad. Look, the big clubs buy young typically, you know, because they already have the veterans in place. They've been doing this for a while. So I don't fault him for doing that and good for him for listening to Carlo. Um, Brands is buying the players. I'm so tired of people saying Carlos buying the players. He, he isn't. I mean, he scouted to Corey for years. He was even scouting Alon before, um, you know, before Carlo came. However, Carlo is a massive attraction. I mean, what are you not going to use him? Of course. I think he's such a selling point. He is such a network that we're leveraging. I mean, them together with Brands's wisdom, his command over Greta Stenson and, and the scouting department, his negotiation skills, which are clearly very good because this is three, three incredible players to get for that price. You know, he, he mentioned that James was free. Um, again, we bought him out. So it's a little bit confusing. Um, but anyway, you know, so his quote is, and I think they're, they're comfortable where we are right now. Um, brand says in the current squad, we have a good balance of experienced players, young players and players with homegrown status. Very important. You got to have eight. The average squad age is just above 26 years old. This is a big difference with the squad of two seasons ago where the average age was a lot higher. That's another big impact. We talk about, you know, growth and age. You, you have to understand the ages of the people you're buying. It's not about sell on though. You know, it's just about value, you know? And uh, it's just easier to sell a player that's young and still promising, even if they haven't worked out, um, rather than someone older that has no upward growth or potential. I, we see it every day. So um, I, I would imagine this next summer we'll probably go back to buying younger players again. But but he's been buying first team players. I mean, that's a little misnomer. He's not just buying I mean, yes, we bought a Jared Brantway. So so I'll finish the quote. Sorry. On the player development side, we made huge progress for with our young players, Richarlison, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Mason Holgate, Anthony Gordon, Zhao, Virginia, and Jared Brantway. He forgot him and Jane. Come on, man. Uh, all gave their commitment to new long-term contracts with the club during the 12 months. He was talking about long-term contracts. But, you know, he brought in, in, in Kunku, too, for, for very little. Um, and so... Again, with the spend numbers and all this stuff, none of this should be overly surprising, but I'll bet you it still surprises people, don't you think? Yeah, I just think, look, people have, it's almost people have wanted to criticize Marcel Brand since he came in. And 
it just is completely. Why, why do you think that is? Like, did he not have enough pedigree? I mean, he really did an amazing job at everywhere at, he's been. He really has. I mean, yeah, it's only been in the Netherlands, but I, I don't understand that. Like, is football and math and contract negotiation suddenly unique in um, places with like lower altitude? Well, I think it's I, honestly, I just think, and maybe I'm also guilty of this is like people just don't have really any true appreciation of like what goes into these sorts of deals and type of negotiation and people also i think lack patience with him i think that was the biggest thing where he didn't come in and just start trying to overhaul the system as we mentioned earlier he was trying to add players and some of the players didn't click quickly right yeri mina came in and he got hurt but wasn't really that hurt and he didn't have the best most influential first season, but of course he's having a great year this year. Same with Alex Wobi didn't exactly come in and, and tear up trees. And so people immediately wrote him off. Oh, why would we bring in this cast off from Arsenal? Da, 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 da. Well, look where he is now. He's one of our better squad players this season. He's been hugely important in terms of creating in the final third. I think at some point you just got to tip your cap to the man and just say, you know what, Marcel, do your thing because clearly you know a lot more than we do and uh, we're just going to let you keep running with things because it's going well so far. And I think it's okay to critique them. I mean, you want to hold these people accountable, but some of the critiques are insane to me. Like there were reasons he bought these players. Alex Wobie in particular. I mean, how could you not have seen his open creation ability? Here we go. Here we go. I'm not, I'm not going to go off on it, but but mean in the same way, you know, mean is upside. As yes. a, I mean, he can be an elite center back, and we've seen it the last couple of weeks. Dominant in the air, unbelievable feet. Like, that's the type of talent where you're buying a young player that you plug in immediately in the first team. And he was capable of hanging in the Premier League. I, I, I actually think he was better than maybe some people are giving him credit for. Marco Silva deserves some credit for that. I mean, he was very good organizationally in terms of defensive. You know, we gave up very few chances, and there were big chances. But either way, like... There were good reasons for him buying all these guys. Moise Keane, same type of thing. Yeah. You know, you got to give him a little bit of benefit. Down. Put it this way. If the club is going to invest that much money and this guy is that experienced, take a step back. Think about it. He's probably got a decent reason for getting the guys. Now, you could disagree with their projection and think they're not going to be great. Um, and, you know, not, no one gets everything right. You know, there's just you're projecting the future, you know, it's yeah. hard to do. And there's so many circumstances that could or could not work. You know, JPG, I think was maybe amongst his best moves. I mean, who's going to predict that, you know I mean? What are you going to say? That was right, terrible. Marcel right. brands. How could you not predict the future and think he's going to be crocked for over a year? Yeah, that's absurd. You know, it's absurd stuff. So I think people should give him the benefit of the doubt more, but, but when you lay it out, like you did at the AGM, man, I mean, that is maybe staggering. people just, it's staggering. People did not realize you know, we were just not in the best of shape. And maybe that's really the big takeaway. Um, we've preached that a lot. I'm not trying to play. I told you so type stuff. I don't mean that at all because things can change. You know, we're not even halfway through the season. Um, but but I think it's obvious the club is in a better spot and we should all be encouraged by that. So overall, I would take the AGM seemed somewhat positive. You know, uh, I, I, I some things about it. I think there's enough critiques out of there. I mean, these are, I think, kind of our takes from an American standpoint that I yeah. that I think are interesting. And hopefully the audience, um, it spurns some debate. And uh, and what that really leads us to is, and a lot of people want to know is, so that's really great. Now, are we going to do business in January or not? <laughs> right. And we will actually, so right after we finish recording here, we're going to hop over and record an episode for Toffee TV USA and dive into some of the links and obviously marcel has come out and perhaps hinted that we won't be doing business but 
nonetheless, I think there's still some opportunity there. And I think if you look at Marcel's words, he's left himself some wiggle room as to what still might be possible for the remainder of the month. Yeah. And remember, we did the monster January episode where we talked about Marcel's history in January. He will do business, maybe not massive business. And when we, we went through a bunch of names and so in the next episode on Toffee TV, please check it out. We're going to hit some more names. We're going to address all the rumors that we've seen, the ins, the outs, what could happen this January, all sorts of names you've heard. And we're going to get in depth with them and have a conversation. And, uh, you know, we're, we've done a lot of work on it. I think it's going to be a fun episode. I'm looking forward to it. So please check it out. Indeed. And thank you everyone for listening. As always, if you want to get to all of our content, socials, et cetera, it's L-I-N-K-T-R dot ee slash usa toffee pod that's link tr.ee slash usa toffee pod that will get you everywhere you need to go including discord instagram twitter facebook and all of our podcast platforms uh so do check that out otherwise thanks for listening we appreciate you as always leave us a review uh five-star rating on your podcast platform of choice and until next time up the toffees